look, cybersecurity is not a one-size-fits-all program. We, A, it shouldn't be, but B, we don't have the resources to treat every vendor with the same level of, of diligence that we need to. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Ishan Gadar. Ishan has some really interesting thoughts for us on the next era of work. Uh, we went through work from home, and now we're in the hybrid work era. And I think that every compliance practitioner, business executive, and frankly, anyone in a corporation needs to think about some of the risks he's going to raise for us and issues around risk management. So, Ethan, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tom. Excited to uh, chat with you today. So, Ethan, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, my career uh, mostly started in business development and finance, worked in investment banking in New York, spent some time working for Disney and their corporate strategy and business development team. And then I got into the entrepreneurship world and started a company where I was selling software to hospitals. And I was a third-party vendor connecting to their infrastructure and their networks. So obviously, it was my first foray into the risk and compliance space. And in 2016, I started a company called Priva. We were the third-party risk management software product. We built that, grew that business really in the legal industry, and then parlayed that into the financial services sector. About a couple months ago, we got acquired by Smarsh. And so really excited to take our product and expand that. And right now, I'm uh, still the CEO of Priva under the larger Smarsh brand, also working with a company called Intreta. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to build a single product around risk compliance, both internal as well as external risk. Ishan, in addition to the conversation we're going to have about the era of hybrid work, third-party risk and third-party risk management is generally seen as the highest risk in every form of compliance. So this podcast goes out to a wide variety of compliance professionals and practitioners, but whether they be in anti-bribery, anti-corruption, whether they be in healthcare, whether they be in AML, whether they be in export control, or whether they be in you name the compliance, Third-party risk is always one of the highest risks. So I was really intrigued by your professional background and how you're going to be able to bring some of those insights forward. But if I could start with the era of hybrid work. As I mentioned, we went to working from home, WFH, then to return to work. And now we're in yet another era, the era of hybrid work. What is it? Is it here to stay? Are we going to continue to evolve? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest and, and sort of most interesting aspects that COVID brought. It did introduce this era of hybrid and, and, and it was really hit us in real time. No time to plan and was just react. What previously took years, sometimes even decades to understand a shift in a corporate and work environment really happened in a matter of two days. <laughs> and all of a sudden you had companies in highly regulated industries and in non-regulated industries all of a sudden have to adapt. The answer to your question is, yeah, I don't think it is going anywhere. I definitely see a lot more companies going back to the office. But I think as soon as you have an employee who's going back five days a week, they realize that two or three days of working from home is more efficient from a commute perspective and from a productivity perspective and, and frankly, from a mental health perspective. So I think that we are in an era that's going to stick around and we really have to figure out how to continue and maintain tools and 
managing risk around virtual collaboration and communication technologies, what we call is this virtual supply chain. How do we make sure that all of our employees are connected, but doing it in a secure way? And so I don't think it's changing. I think a lot of people, a lot of people already moved to different cities where their job was. And so I think that we are going to have to adapt as a from two years ago to two, three years from now, I think it's going to stay the same. Perhaps the most prescient comment I heard during the throes of the pandemic last year was, we moved from disaster recovery to business continuity to business as usual. And most people accept that phrasing now and formulation, but they think about that in terms of regulatory risks or other risks. But the hybrid work era risks brings yet another set of risks. So I was wondering if we might explore what are some of the risks you see based upon the new technology that we are now all used to, starting with the work from home era, but have become really ubiquitous in the corporate life. What are the risks and and perhaps uh, some of the risk management strategies you advocate? Yeah, I mean, I think when you have people working from home and working remotely, access to sensitive information grew exponentially. One of the things that we talked about was Many people have devices like Alexa or or Google Homes. Those are devices that are recording every conversation that's happening in your home. So one one of the policies that we saw come out from an internal risk management perspective was having to make sure that you're not doing work in the vicinity of one of those types of devices. Another was making sure that your computers are locking on a very set interval. If a spouse or a child gets access to a laptop and their sensitive information. That's another important risk that we need to understand. Dust is settled in the sort of the wild, wild west of managing risk across working from home environments. And I think the regulators, to your point and what you were talking about earlier, have adapted as well. We can't compromise how we're doing business, but I think that the regulators are also trying to figure out how to adapt to this new environment, understanding what tools, what technologies are now sufficient in order to achieve and maintain both regulatory as well as cybersecurity risk and compliance. So what are some of the risk management strategies you either advocate or you've seen successfully used, uh, particularly around one of my concerns is the communications that you have to make to people to remind them of that. But how do you keep your communications focused, but not give sort of what I would call compliance overload leading to compliance fatigue? And it's just, oh yeah, another message from comms. (laughs) <laughs> don't let my child on the laptop. How do you really deal with something like that? I, I, don't, I don't think compliance fatigue is ever going away. I think it's, it's only getting worse. You know, we, we joke that says there's so many more eyes and ears on risk and compliance today than there ever has been. And I don't think that's changing. I think we're, every employee has the title of chief compliance officer now as well, because if they're not acting as the steward and maintaining and, and adhering to our policies, we're, we're going to be in trouble. You know, I think like... What, a couple of things that I talk about when we talk about some of the tips and how we're expanding compliance supervision practices. One is making sure that you're, you're truly able to capture communication across your organization. We have employees who are now working in Zoom meetings, but now sending text messages to clients and sending WhatsApp messages to clients and employees. So really making sure that we are creating a unified network of devices and communication technologies to make sure that we are able to capture everything. You know, God forbid that there ever is some sort of incident, being able to make sure that we have good tools in place to capture all the dialogue, be able to transcribe voice into a searchable database 
And I think that's one of the things that we've seen is, is really making sure that your tech stack has the right capabilities to capture information and communication across your, your network. You know, I think another thing that we talked about was how do you communicate the right ways to work with your clients or work with your employees? Is text message a good way to talk about sensitive information with a client? It may or may not be. And, but as long as we have the right tools and the right steps to make sure that we're doing things in line with our internal corporate policies, the compliance departments have access to that information if it's required. I think that's also something that's super important. Using AI is a good way to make sure that you are achieving compliance. AI can really streamline the process and make sure that, that people are now are adhering to the new policy and the new norm. And doing things in a manual way can be really cumbersome. And I think that we've seen new technologies are built in with AI capabilities, and they can really automate a lot of those risk risk-based decisions or risk-based detection, you know, increasing productivity by like 95%. Yeah, I really appreciate your remarks around capturing the documentation and the messaging for regulators, because that's one thing the regulators I look at and follow have said throughout 2020 is you have to be able to capture that. And if we come knocking or there's a violation or there's an enforcement action, we're going to expect you know, full documentation of what was done, what was said, and the decisions that came out of that. So the other thing that really struck me there is we'll go into this in a little more detail. You mentioned, say, I have Tom Fox Company and I'm on with a customer or I'm on with a contractor who's going to talk to a customer. There's a whole nother level of risk. And we're going to talk about third-party risk management, but it seems to me the, the level of risk is far beyond company to company. It is really the entire scope of your communication. Does that be a fair assessment? It's a completely a fair assessment. And then it, it, taking that one step further is making sure that everything is integrated. I've actually, you know, I'm, I'm sure most people, they've been on a Zoom call. They're sending a Slack message to an employee or they're texting somebody else in real time. All of that dialogue, all that communication needs to be timestamped so that it is all captured together. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. It, it is really about capturing that communication across every different medium. And I think, you know, kind of going back to that work from home and if your child goes on to Facebook or WhatsApp or they're going on to TikTok when on your your work computer, that does need to get captured in some form or manner if there is ever some level of incident. Let me turn to a specific risk now because hopefully it's on the forefront of everyone's mind, but if it's not, you're certainly going to tell us why it should be. And that's cybersecurity. And I think everyone recognizes the enhanced cybersecurity risks in the working and home from environment, but how do you train employees around cybersecurity in a way that's effective when they are working remotely or in some other hybrid work situation? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like technology is is a great resource, and, and but it's a double-edged sword with every product that technology brings to make your lives easier, better, faster, and cheaper for your clients come with cybersecurity risks. We're seeing data flow downstream at a level that we've never seen before, and that's going to continue. Obviously, hiring is a big challenge today. So I think you know the number one thing in an effort to mitigate cybersecurity risk is training, obviously, and it's in, in consistent training. It, that's the most important thing. You really have to drive cybersecurity into your culture of your organization. You cannot tell an employee in January that cybersecurity is important, have them go through a cybersecurity awareness training, 
and expect them to remember that in two months because cybersecurity is also a crutch for us to do our jobs in the most timely and most efficient way. So I think that, you know, very consistent training is, is really important. You know, just I was looking at a couple of stats when we were preparing for this. You know, cybercrime is up 600% since the start of COVID. The FBI cyber division, they're getting over 4,000 complaints a day. And 61% of all malware is targeted towards remote workers through complete cloud applications. You know, so nation states with basically unlimited budgets, unlimited resources are very, very sophisticated. And, you know, as workers are moving to, you know, from a secure office environment where networks, monitoring, firewalls, all of those are really confined and, and really well-defined. Now we're going to these vulnerable home networks that have devices, weak Wi-Fi security, authentication, outdated equipment. And so most of all, you know, the limited awareness and training and teaching your employees around these new sophisticated phishing and social engineering tactics, that's the number one. So we have to really be on top of what's coming out in the market, information sharing across companies, companies like there's ISACs, information sharing exchanges around different industry groups. The FSISAC is the number one leader one. So the, the financial services information sharing, they're trading information that if one bank sees an attack from a certain IP address, they put it onto a, a discussion board so that other banks can then go ahead and block that. So we can't do this alone. Cybersecurity is not something we can do in silos. It is really a collective effort. You know, and then when you think about from a compliance perspective, when you look at regulated industries like financial services, healthcare, utility, having really detailed policy monitoring and reporting requirements, those are really important. Making sure that you are also adapting your policies to the new norm. You don't want to have your teams losing clients or not being able to grow the business because of certain restrictions. So it is a little bit of a give and take between what your policies are and how you're, you're training and coaching your employees. My wife works for a major oilfield services company now remotely. We moved out of the city and she came to me a couple of months ago. She said, well, you look at this email. And I looked at it and I said, it's either spam, a scam or a phishing expedition. And so she duly reported it. And it turned out it was a, a test by the company's internal IT security to see how many employees would, would do that. And that really struck me in three levels. One was that the vulnerability companies have down to, to her level. Number two, that the opportunity for training literally of the frontline employee, because she had gone through the IT training and knew to look for certain things, but more importantly, to report it. And that three, you can even with something as invidiousness, as invidious as cybersecurity attacks by state actors, you actually can have a, a pretty proficient frontline defense before it would get to someone like yourself or even elevated even higher. So that even though this, this could be a risk, there were some basic things that you could do as opposed to some law, anti-corruption law, where there was a criminal violation if, if, you, if you engage in certain behavior. But here we had frontline employees. So is that message that really every employee is on the front line and they can play a part of our defense? Is that something that resonates with your customers and clients? Yeah, 100%. And first, I mean, I applaud your wife's company for training her appropriately. And I applaud your wife for identifying that because it's not easy. And so that's, you know, that's a great example where 
her employer must have done a good job to make them aware that they're scams. I mean, they're coming everywhere, every which way and multiple times a day. You know, companies are doing a great job of putting tools into place to capture. If one of an employee gets an email where Google spelled wrong, usually those get captured now and flag them before they actually get to the front line. But, you know, every employee has access to sensitive data for the most part. So, yeah, I think you absolutely need to think about every person in your organization as a frontline cybersecurity risk and a threat. And so they've done a great job, and, and that's great to hear. And one of the things that we do, you know, between Priva and Treta and Smarsh, you know, that's an example where we assign a score, a risk score to each employee, each division, and then organization. And that includes endpoint protection. That includes cybersecurity awareness training. That includes phishing examples like you just talked about, a a fake email sent by the security department. And so we're able to look at individuals as a single entity to identify, is their risk score adequate enough? And we say this, and if you don't pass cybersecurity awareness training, your risk score is going to go down, but you have an opportunity to get better. We always say that communication is a really important part of the awareness training that if you don't succeed at first, you're not going to lose your job, but that is going to require you to go through the process again. We're not in this to take business away. We're not here to lose, you know, have people lose their job, but it's an element of growth. And so that's one of the things that we really do is we try to figure out where are the areas of non-compliance. And then that helps us from a security risk and compliance team focus our efforts on the individuals that may need a little bit extra because they are potential threats. And your wife did a great job of reacting to that email, but that email went to every single employee. And my guess is probably 2% of the employees failed, if not significantly higher. So now the teams can now put the right resources in place to help those that didn't understand that this was a malicious email or an attempt of a malicious email. I'd like to now turn to third parties. And in many of the Uh, Listeners of this podcast understand that third parties are indeed, if not the highest, certainly a very high risk, but they tend to segregate to third parties, parties on the sales side, parties that we may be in business jointly with, whether it's a joint venture, whether it's a business partner, whether it's a something, whatever it may be, a teaming partner, as opposed to a vendor. And vendors have been separate and they're over in the supply chain. They procurement handles that. But you really advocate a really unified approach, and I was really intrigued by that. And it struck me that that's also a very prescient point come, going forward that I'll ask you about in maybe into the future. But what do you see as the risks now from this integrated approach to all third parties? I'm glad you're using the word third-party risk management. The industry's really evolved. It started off with the term vendor risk management. When I started Priva five years ago, it was vendor risk management. But the definition of a third party has actually changed how we look at the world. You actually said everything correct, right? It's suppliers, it's partners, in some cases, it's customers. And so, you know, we talked about revenue risk management, (laughs) even those companies where technology companies have, if you look at Facebook, they have thousands of companies that access that data through an API and they're paying Facebook a fee. And that's actually revenue for Facebook. That's also potentially a risk. And so it really is an interesting perspective of how you think about where your data is within your own four walls. Then you have to think about where it's going. How is it leaving your environment? Where is it going? What's the sensitivity of that data? Whether it's PII or PHI, health information, 
Is it client data? Is it employee data? Is it IP related data? And so there's so many different elements that you think about when you put it into a matrix to quantify risk, especially when it's leaving your four walls. You know, one of the biggest challenges with third-party risk management, you have a say, but you don't have full authority in enforcing change. You know, as a small company, if Google's doing something that you don't like from a cybersecurity perspective, I'm guessing you don't have a lot of pull to tell them to change their security policy. And so third-party risk management's a two-way street. You always have to identify what, as, as a company, as the custodian of the information that you're sending to a third party, you have to understand what are your minimum baselines? What are cybersecurity controls are non-starters for you? And then what are risks that you're willing to accept? And what are your exception protocols in order to accept that? You know, for example, if I'm sending my information to a third party, and they've never done a third-party penetration test, meaning nobody's ever tried to actually break into their network. That would make me a little uncomfortable. That means that if, an, if they've never tested themselves, how do I know that they're not a vulnerable attack? That doesn't necessarily mean that I won't use that vendor, but that does create an environment where from a compliance perspective, from a regulatory perspective, you need to have that very well documented. You need to go through the, the, the certain levels of exception protocols. That's not a decision that a security and risk team can make independent of a business or management or potentially the board. If you are sending very sensitive data to a third-party vendor, you want to have management and leadership as part of that conversation that says, you know, this vendor does pose a potential risk to us. How are we going to manage it? Is our insurance carrier aware of it? Because obviously now with security issues coming up and security incidents happening over and over, the cybersecurity insurance is becoming a big challenge. You do not want to have an insurance company be able to make a claim that you didn't follow the protocols in your application and that's not covered. So there are so many different complexities to this challenge that we're facing. And unfortunately, kind of like COVID, we're, we're trying to figure it out on the fly. And I think that insurance companies, cybersecurity insurance companies are as well. You know, there's enough data for them to know that a 19-year-old driving a, a red Honda in downtown Baltimore, Maryland, what's the risk? We do not have 100 years of data to see what's the potential cost and risk of China trying to hack into a community bank and, you know, across different, you know, across 10 different vendors. And so that's what we're trying to figure out. And that's why third-party risk management is super exciting. And that's why we're, we're really excited to be part of Entreta and Smarsh is to help our clients really, you know, as we kind of say, protect the truth both within your own four walls, but then also making sure that we are understanding and, and able to manage the risk when the data leaves our system. And going back to that communication and that storage and that reporting and documentation part of it. Let me turn to the focus just a little bit because you said something that intrigued me. I'm typically a vendor when someone hires me and I have filled out numerous cybersecurity vendor request forms. Not once has anyone called to verify. Not once has anyone called to test. I've never been audited. Uh, maybe I'm viewed as low risk, and, and if so, if somebody's assessed my risk, and that's, that's appropriate. But it strikes me that third-party risk management is not simply identifying protocols and processes within your own company. It is doing the same with people you do business with. So how do, how do you help a company think through not simply due diligence on a proposed vendor, but an ongoing oversight and management of that cybersecurity risk on a go-forward basis? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you brought a great point. Look, cybersecurity is not a one-size-fits-all program. We, A, it shouldn't be, but B, we don't have the resources to treat every vendor with the same level of, of diligence that we need to. You know, yes, you're, you're a low risk, Tom, and I'll, I'll give you that. So, yeah, so you're absolutely correct there. You know, when we go through the process of evaluating our third-party network from a risk perspective, we do something that's called an inherent risk analysis. What we do is we will either, we involve the business that's engaging with that third-party vendor to really answer a series of questions that state, who is this vendor? How long have they been around? What type of data are we sending them? Will they have access to our infrastructure, our network? And then one that's actually sometimes missed, will this vendor be on site? Because physical access is actually a major cybersecurity risk. So if we go through that, that criteria, what our clients generally do is they're going to put them into different categories of tiers. So tier one will be your mission critical vendors, vendors that have access to the most sensitive data, that if they had a cybersecurity incident, one, it would trigger our incident response plan, a business continuity plan. We would need to notify clients, customers, or partners. And more importantly, again, going back to the insurance companies and our insurance carriers, right? So we go through that process. We categorize them into a tier one, two, or three vendor portfolio. When we think about that annual diligence, we at Priva have a phrase, the right question to the right vendor at the right time. Tom shouldn't be getting a questionnaire that talks around data encryption at rest. Tom should have a questionnaire you know, around what type of, you're, you're probably not getting access to very sensitive information. So we may think about background checks and more sort of higher level risks where a tier, and so you would probably fall into that category of tier three. Whereas if we're using a document management system or a contract management system that's really storing very sensitive information, that's one that's going to come into a tier one category where we do need to understand and really get into a level of diligence that is far greater than what you should receive. And when you go back to nobody's asked me or called me or followed up with your tier one vendors, we wouldn't ever approve a vendor without going through that level of diligence. Asking them to, again, we'll pick on that question, do you have a third-party penetration test? They do need to provide some summary report to us that identifies that A, they've done it, B, who conducted the third-party penetration test, and then C, what are the findings that were identified from a low, medium, high-risk perspective? And then lastly is, have you remediated anything that we, we deem critical? You know, obviously, these types of artifacts and these types of documentation that validate the controls by a vendor, those are also very sensitive documents as well. So they're reluctant to send a full report, but they do and are trained now to send some level of summary. And so we will, for the tier ones, it will be a very, very thorough diligence. Tier two, we're going to find that middle ground. And then tier three is we want to really make sure that you, Tom, have thought about cybersecurity and that you actually do understand that it is an important aspect of us working together. So the title of this podcast series is called Innovation and Compliance. And I've talked to a lot of compliance professionals, entrepreneurs, technologists, and I would say everyone asks the question to the right person, the right question to the right person. You're the first person who's put a time component on that at the right time. And first of all, you get a gold star for being the first. But that's absolutely brilliant because that time component, I'm afraid, is not something that people think of as much as the other two. And they don't understand. They may understand there's some ongoing nature, but it's even more sophisticated than that. It's really the right time. 
And that that's just great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll tell you, and we, we see this all the time. What defines the right time is also right. one of the biggest challenges, right? Is it every 12 months? So our tier one vendors were generally doing a diligence every 12 months. But we've all been in corporate environments where we sign a contract on day one, and then we buy a second solution four months later. And all of a sudden, that second product that we just bought may be completely different, may have access to very set different information, yet we don't do a diligence on the product. We did it on the vendor, but we didn't do it on the product per se. And so those are the different aspects that we really think about from a time perspective. Changes in contracts, changes in personnel. If there's a certain individual who is the main point of contact that has access to administrative access to data, that person leaves and somebody else comes in. Why doesn't that trigger a whole new diligence or a level of, you know, from a compliance perspective, making sure that they've done background checks on that person? And so those are the things that we think about from a time perspective. And I think that time, there's a balance of how often you're doing compliance checks of both internally as well as third parties without being overbearing on the vendors as well. So that's, that's the delicate balance that we're dealing with right now in the industry. So in my world, the regulators would say, you should do a risk assessment when your risks change. And the example you gave of, yes, we've, we've looked at this vendor, but we haven't looked at this product. That's a prime example of your risks have changed. And we started this podcast talking about the speed and the change of the workplace from work from home to return to work to hybrid environment. And that to me speaks exactly of a change in risk. Doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just simply means your risks have changed and you need to assess those risks in light of this new information. So you're really onto something. Keep saying that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, to hear it. Yeah, no, look, I mean, let's, let's go back to the, you know, the first part of the podcast. What changed in March of 2020? We had to go from home. Do you think that, you know, companies like Smarsh, like our company had the right protocols in place to be able to record, document and transcribe a Zoom call? Maybe, probably not the best, right? But we had to adapt really quickly and understand that all of a sudden we had to change how we were thinking about things and how the number of users on Zoom went from, I believe it was 10 million to 30 million in a matter of a week. Microsoft Teams went from like 20, 30 million to over 100 million. It's amazing how we had to adapt so quickly and, and not just at the corporate level, but from a compliance perspective and compliance oversight, compliance supervision perspective. Yeah, because I, I always say, you know, a head in the sand when it comes to security and compliance is not good enough. Ignorance is not bliss in our world that we live in, unfortunately. So let me now ask you just to turn to that veiled land of the future. And as these risks grow and expand into 2025 and beyond, how are you counseling clients to be nimble and agile enough to be able to respond to new, these risks? Or are they simply saying, look, I can't think about the future. I have to think about my risks now. Yes. <laughs> yes, to, yes to all of it. I think we all struggle with thinking about today, let alone 2025. And I think one of the biggest challenges right now, and I think that the way we, we, the way we advise our clients to thinking about the future is trying to make sure that you, you're buying technology today that is going to be sustainable going forward. There's not enough people in the US or globally that can fill every job that we need to from a cybersecurity perspective and from a compliance perspective. We've been talking about cybersecurity. Privacy is this whole other element that we haven't even really focused on, but you know, privacy is the next challenge that we're all going to face. 
So using technology to your advantage, using outsource providers to your advantage. You know, a lot of people hire us to be their outsource provider around third-party risk management. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the resources. And then hiring is so difficult today that they need to offload some of this work in order to make sure that they're achieving the, the necessary compliance. But not just today, but that's really building out your budget and making sure that you have the right investments in place as you continue to grow and, and to continue to go into the future leading up to 2025. We're unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if listeners want to know any more information on yourself, the topics we've talked about, or what you're up to these days, where can they go? Yeah, yeah. Lots of areas. You know, I'm on LinkedIn, Ishan Gerdhar. Feel free to look me up, reach out, love to chat with you on that. You can also go to smarsh.com or entreta.com or priva.com. So a couple of different resources, but if you go to smarsh.com, that's really the best place to to get all the resources around risk and compliance and and really how we think about helping you manage your entire architecture. Like I said, we really think about it in two lenses. One, all the data within your own four walls. And then two, when the data is leaving your own walls, how do we also manage and protect it there? I really enjoyed this podcast. And that's how I determine how good a podcast is, is how much I enjoy it. So I greatly hope that we can continue this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.